Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Abbott. I'm a certified professional coach specializing in confidence, joy, and mindfulness. And I've been doing this thing lately. I went down the rabbit hole of human design and I decided to give free readings to people, 15 minute readings, and I am having a blast and learning so much. If you don't know what human design is yet, you can get your own chart at jovianarchive.com or you can just message me and say, what was that link again? If you're interested in a free human design reading, also reach out to me. Let's do it through Instagram. I'm at Kelsey Abbott CPC. DM me on there and I will get you hooked up. We will understand all of the complicated words and symbols and messages. We'll at least give you an overview of your human design, which is what your soul chose as its purpose, as its blueprint, as it's the way it's going to do things for this journey on earth. It's pretty cool. It sounds completely woo-woo, but as, let me say that, change it to the and, and as I dig into it for myself and for other people, it's resonating with everyone. So it doesn't matter why, it doesn't matter how it was created. The thing is, this is resonating so much. It really feels like it gives people permission to be themselves. It reminds us who we are and what we're here to do. All right, quick story before we get started. I tried to be someone else last night, not in a weird sort of dress up sort of way, but I found myself being really rigid. Like I wanted to get certain things done in a certain amount of time. And I did a whole bunch of administrative tasks, like focusing on the details, getting everything just right. And you know what? It made me pissy. It just made me, I didn't feel anything like myself. And I am so grateful to my dog who reminded me to go outside and shake it off. And I actually like did a little shake after he, he did a shake when we got outside and it was perfect. I'm sharing this because one, try shaking your whole body like a dog. It's amazing. And two, rigidity is the opposite of one of my strengths. One of my strengths is adaptability. And our strengths are on a continuum. So if adaptability is my strength, then my weakness is going to be rigidity. When I am being rigid, I am anti-strength. I am not my best self. I am moving towards, I don't like to say worst self, but for purposes of this conversation, I'm going to say that. It's my worst self. That's not me in flow. That's not me at my best. And after I did my shake with my dog, I realized that I wasn't being me. Remember, my friends, you are you. You are here for a unique reason. You are here for a unique purpose. And the way you are supposed to do your purpose, you, the way you are supposed to be in the world is unique. And you get to do it your way, it being everything. And when you do things your way, you're going to be sparkly AF. And your sparkle is going to bring people towards you. Everyone is going to be inspired by you. They're going to be lit up by you. They're going to want to be in your presence. You get to be you. Do it. Be you. All right. We have an epic episode this week. It's with Zachary Babcock. From living with convicted felons in prison for over five years to rubbing elbows with multimillionaires every day, Zachary Babcock is the host of the top-rated podcast, Underdog Empowerment. He's a student of psychology, business, and marketing with a broad perspective from both extremes of life. He runs a prod podcast production company, Podcast Penthouse Media, and helps entrepreneurs launch and produce top-shelf podcasts. He is also... He's a great storyteller. So just sit back, relax, and this is kind of like reading a really good book. It's real life. Enjoy this conversation and please share it. Shout out on social. Tag me on Instagram. I'm at Kelsey Abbott's CPC. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. 
write a review. Love you. I really, really appreciate your support. And go forth and be awesome. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Zach Babcock. Welcome, Zach. Hey, what is up, Kelsey? I am super excited to be here. Find your awesome. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. That was like the best intro ever. And I have the luxury of being able to see you. And right now you look like a DJ. Like, <laughs> deal. On the mixing board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to put it down. <laughs> totally pro. It's obvious that, you know, you're a podcast host yourself. <laughs> um, uh, thanks. I appreciate the compliment. I, uh, we, we, you know, us podcasters, we work very hard on our craft. We do. So what got you into podcasting? Oh, oh my God. So th- that's such a great story. Um, you know, and it, I'll kind of just get to the point where I was in network marketing for two years and you know, I, I got into network marketing. This is probably going to unpack more of the story, but I got into network marketing when I first came home from prison, when I decided to turn my life around and be a responsible father. Did that for two years, made almost $2,000 a month income right into six months of network marketing, but it just wasn't my thing. I started feeling like a maggot, like, an, like you know, there's, good, there's great network marketing companies out there and great network marketers out there, but I was in a company where they taught you to just bombard people with your products and services and, uh, and, and the opportunity, and if they weren't interested, in just keep it moving. And it, to me, it just didn't sit well, and I, and I stopped having success with it because I lost my passion for it. And I, my passion was, you know, I was really inspired at the time by Gary Vee, which still am, the dude's a baller, right? But um, I, want, I was like, man, I know I can help people. I want to help people with the adversity that I've been through and be able to help them get to the next level, and I want to create content. I've always, you know, enjoyed that, so I got into uh, YouTube and, uh, you know, building the social media and whatnot, and I was putting off podcasting for about two years. And I finally did it because somebody you know, I was watching, I was actually going through Russell Brunson's uh, uh, funnel hacks course that I had. And he gave, he was telling a story about how one of the guys he was working with said like, you know, before nobody would give me the time of day. Um, you know, I couldn't, I, the opportunities were slim and then I launched my show and then everybody wanted to do business with me and everybody wanted to collaborate with me. And uh, that's how I felt, you know, here I am, you know, that's why I launched underdog empowerment. Here I am this uh, guy that this ex convict turned entrepreneur that nobody literally gave the time of day to. I was just an afterthought. And when I launched a podcast uh, and, and something that I'm extremely po- passionate about, instantly it literally happened just like the guy's story. I, I became the afterthought to the guy that everybody wanted to collaborate with and get on the show. And it opened up doors to interview celebrities, professional athletes, and uh, industry leaders. So it's just been a complete game changer. It's been so fun. I, I feel you. And yeah, you're right. We got to go back to, okay, so prison. (laughs) So you were in prison and I told you before we started recording, you are the first Find Your Awesome podcast guest who has been in prison. So tell us about it. Why'd you go? How was it? (laughs) It was incredible. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I, um, you know, I I went to prison because in, you know, there's a lot of factors that go in, but I, I feel like my father died when I was seven and I never had uh, my mother never, never remarried after that. And so I was raised by a strong, fierce woman that uh, taught me so many great uh, values in life and really installed some great things in me. However, I feel like uh, every boy needs a father figure or a male role model. And I looked up to all the wrong male role models growing up. And, um, you know, I didn't, what really came down to is I didn't really have a chief aim in life. I didn't have a purpose or something that was, that I was driving for. I was just felt like I was always going through the motions, but I would always do things because I knew I always wanted to be different. I always wanted to stand out. So I would do things uh, that were very stupid to get attention, to, to fit in with the cool kids, to stand out that way. And, um, you know, I started smoking weed when I was nine years old. I know it's crazy. Um, and by the time I was 17, we went out one night and uh, we were stealing from cars uh, that were unlocked in a rich neighborhood. And then if they left their garage door open there, we'd open that. Then we'd drive off, go hit some other cars and come back. And if it was open, we'd steal their possessions in the garage door. And we ended up stealing a car. Uh, just being knuckleheads. You know, I was 19, 17 at the time. Just, you know, I was, we were really doing this out of boredom. But it was, you know, it was wrong. But 
uh, we went back out the next night and uh, ended up getting pulled over for having stolen property on us. And I took the rap for all four of us and I got the cases. And so I thought I threw my life away. I thought that I was going to go to prison, even though I only got put on probation and I started using heavier drugs. I graduated to ecstasy, to cocaine. And before you know it, I was smoking crack, picking crack crumbs off of carpets and hotels, plunging needles in my arm, overdosing on heroin, just a complete mess, like in a state of complete hopelessness. And uh, then I ended up going to prison uh, for violating my probation from all these um, uh, failed drug tests. And um, I went to prison for four years on a seven-year sentence. And during that time, there was a, a lot of uh, crazy stuff that happened, obviously. Um, but I remember one time that was like probably the most uh, trans transformational moment uh, experiences that I've had uh, in, during my prison time, the first time going around. But uh, I was in there for, it was like two years at the time. I was 21 years old. I went in when I was 19 and uh, I was in the hole for tattoo violations and the guard came and banged uh, and the hole was like a prison inside of the prison, right? You got, it's an eight by 10 cell. You can walk three steps one way if you're lucky and three steps the next. That's it. It's so small. You got a, a bunk, a, a toilet, a sink. It's depressing down there. You have very little to no human interaction. You get food that comes in your chuck hole in the door three times a day and you get three showers a week. Um, it was, it's, it's pretty insane. And uh, they came bang on my door. So the captain wanted to talk to me. I'm like, you know, at the time I wanted to fit in with all the cool kids in prison and I wanted to be a badass or whatever. And I was like, for what? You know, I, you know, immediately in my mind, I was like, somebody told on me for something I haven't gotten in trouble for yet. Or they're trying to get me to tell on somebody else. And I was like, I ain't got nothing to say. You're like, you cuff up. You're going back to the captain's so office. Like, okay, whatever. We cuff up, put the shackles on. It's digging in the back of my ankles. Uh, and we go, we get back there, and the uh, captain he's sitting behind his desk with his white shirt on, his gold badge, black hat, arms crossed. And he's like, Mister Babcock, um, you know, when you come back to the captain's office, it's nothing good, right? And I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck. Put me back in my cell. I don't have nothing to say. And he's like, uh, How long you been locked up? And I was like, About two years. And he's like, We just got a call. Uh, from your mom and she informed us that uh, she had to break into your bathroom at home with a screwdriver and found your sister dead on the floor with a needle in her arm. And uh, man, like uh, that was the, the last thing that I was expecting. And uh, I can't really explain like the, the feelings, but I remember my vision just blacking out to nothing. And then it comes back all of a sudden. And then this adrenaline rush, this burst of energy, burst through my body and I just tears started flooding down my face and then they gave me a, a 30 second like legit 30 second phone call uh to my mom and we're bawling our eyes out telling each other that we love each other and then the phone hangs up and um then I asked them to put me back in a cell by myself I didn't want to have a cellmate I just wanted some time alone and for the next three days I didn't even get out of my bunk to eat I was just going crazy all the thoughts of all the mean things I ever said to my sister and the goodbye I never get to tell her were going through my head. Um, and then I remember waking up on that third day and, and I asked myself, I was like, you know, I don't know well, what the reason is why I'm here, but I know there's got to be a reason. And what can I do right now to, to feel happy? What can I do right now to improve my situation? And obviously there wasn't much I could do because I was trapped in an eight by 10 cell, couldn't go anywhere. But I started doing little things that I did have control over uh, that empowered me and, and things like uh, cleaning my cell every day. Like I took one of our bathing towels, we had two, and I ripped it up into a bunch of mini rags and I'd scrub the walls with one, scrub the sink with the other, scrub the toilet with another one. Then I'd sweep the dust bunnies, off, all the dirt off the, the ground and collect it into dust bunnies with my bare hands. And I'd take some toilet paper, wad it up, get a little damp and pick up the dust bunnies, throw it in the toilet. Um, and then I take the final rag and get it nice and soapy and scrub my floor. And uh, just the act of doing that, though, that that gave me, uh, it, it, I felt empowered. I was like, man, I'm taking care of my living space. I feel good about living in a clean area. And I'd work out in the eight by 10. So, you know, doing some calisthenics, uh, body weight mo uh, movements and stuff, whatever I could do in an eight by 10 cell. And that was releasing, releasing natural endorphins in my body. And the whole point of it is, is that you know, uh, we had these, uh, there, there's a great book by Viktor Frankl called A Man's Search for Meaning. He, I, didn't, I haven't read it at this time in my life, but it kind of makes sense now looking back. But we had these outside stimulus, you know, these external factors that, you know, sometimes we can't control. Um, but, and then we have a response of how we respond to them. 
And, but in between that, in between that external stimulus and, and our responses, our freedom to choose. And what I was doing there was my freedom to choose how I responded to the situation. I empowered myself through it. I know that was a long winded answer, but that was like one of the biggest takeaways during my time that I, that I had. And I hope that was helpful. It was so good. It was so good. It was awesome. Thank you. It just kept going. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But I do have questions. Like, did you, once you started cleaning your cell, did you have a cellmate at that time? Yeah. So I, I eventually got moved back into a cell with a cellmate, but at first I didn't and I started developing it. And I did this every day. Like if you think OCD is bad, like it doesn't have shit on what I was doing. Like I literally every second of the day was like, OCD out like I did the same thing every single day a set schedule like when the nurse would come around and give out meds I wouldn't ever take the medication but I would talk to the nurse and get like a little form or whatever to uh, fill out like to to get out and talk with um, a doctor or whatever uh, I would uh, when mail would come around when uh, uh, you know I had scheduled reading time scheduled writing time like all this stuff like it was literally to the T it did the same thing every single day and it kept it kept me sane. It kept me from literally going batshit crazy in that time. How did your cellmate, once you had a cellmate again, how did he respond? So different cellmates. So I was down there for two months. Um, you know, I had different cellmates. A lot of times you go to the hole for like seven days or 10 days, but I had a bunch of tattoo violations. So they had me down there for two months. And um, for the most part, I had good cellies, ones that actually like to take care of themselves in their living space. So that was cool. But then we, we would call, we call these other types in prison, we'd call them Vikings, ones that were just like nasty that didn't take care of themselves, didn't shower often or didn't clean up their living space. And, oh, I, I had one of those. And, and you know, like I, I got on, I was like, hey, dude, look, I don't care how, how you treat yourself, but if you're living with me, you at least got to keep our living space up to par. You know, I'm not going to live in old funk or whatever. And, you know, that was cool. You know, we, we were able to hash that out at least, but um, most of my subs were all good, good with it. They weren't as crazy on it as like I was, as keeping everything in order, but they were cool with it. Yeah. I mean, did they end up being like training partners for you? <laughs> yeah. Like a couple and we'd have like, you know, do our workouts together. Like we'd challenge, like do push up challenges and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so how did cleaning up your environment taking total I want to say domination of your schedule and taking care of your body. How did that impact your mindset? It was huge. And you know what, like by doing this consistently, there was other things like, like I'm not uh, a, a, re a religious type at all, but I do believe in, in God. I, so like I, I, I just, I'm just spiritual. I don't believe in no set religion. I believe you could do it however you do it. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe you have to go to church to worship or whatever. Um, but you know, I, I never read the Bible, but the books that we were given down there were the options were slim. Like we could either read old Western books about cowboys that would just put me to sleep or, you know, I had the Bible or whatnot. And I, and I actually read the Bible for the first time in my life down there. And, uh, you know, reading those scriptures and, and think those uplifting things during that time and compare and combined with everything else that I was doing, like taking care keeping a clean cell and taking care of my body and having a schedule um, it really just, it, it's crazy, but towards the end of that, I was in the most peaceful state that I had ever been in my life up until that point. Like I was, I was grateful that I had three meals coming through the chuckle each day. I was grateful that I had that space to live and it might sound crazy, but I was, I literally was the most peaceful that I've ever, ever been, even though I just lost my sister and all this crazy stuff that was going on. Wow. And did you, cause we skipped over you were doing tons of drugs and then you went to prison. Did you get clean in prison? Yeah. So like the, it's available in prison. That is as, as available as it is in the outside. Uh, that sounded crazy on the outside, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it's a, it's available in prison and I did do it. Um, but after my sister passed away, uh, then it was like, I didn't want to do that anymore. I, you know, I was like, and I knew that if I kept on doing heroin all that, all that shit like it would either lead me back to prison whenever I did get out or I would end up dead like her and so um you know I look at that as like a blessing I know it's sad to say but not sad to say but it's crazy to say but it was like a blessing almost that that happened it's sad that my sister had to pass away but I there was good things that came from it and um and that was one of them um but yeah that to sum up your question yeah definitely was a game changer for me yeah had you, did you actually know that your sister was using heroin? Yeah, so we had, 
you know, at this point I was locked up for two years, but before I got locked up, we were using together before I actually got locked up. So I, I knew that, but she ended up going to prison herself and getting out. Um, you know, girls don't go, women don't go to prison as long as guys do unless they kill somebody. But um, uh, she ended up going to prison for a few months and then getting out and then she got back on it. And then she died like shortly after she got out. Oh. Yeah, All right. So you're in prison for a while <clears throat> and then you got out. Yeah. And what happened? <laughs> So I got out and I, I really do believe that nobody, I mean, well, there's some like legit psychopaths that want to be in prison, I guess. Well, there's not, not psychopaths, but there's guys that just been doing it their whole life and become institutionalized and, and actually fear being outside and, and want to be back in and sad, but there's legit people like that. But I didn't want to go back to prison. You know, I did four years flat. I came home. I was 23 years old, went in when I was 19. And I was like, I'm not going back to prison. So I, I got a job. Um, I, it was hard for to find find a job, but I got a under the, under the table paying job as a cook at a bar and grill. I was legit their best worker, working 50 to 60 hours. Like, dude, like I was on top of the game when it when it came to work because I, I I was grateful for it. And um, I ended up meeting uh, my wife. Met her. She she got hired on as a bartender there, and that's how we got together. And uh, then I got a I got a um a job at this clothing store because I would always go shop there. It was like my favorite place to shop. And I went in there one time and I was like, uh, I didn't know it was the store manager. It was this guy that worked there, but he was a store manager. I was like, hey man, how much for this mannequin right here? And he's like, oh, do you want the outer layer or the the undershirt or the the whatever? And I was like, no, how much for everything on that mannequin? And he looked at me and I'm dressed in all their clothes. And he's like, want to work here? I'm like, hell yeah, dude, let's do it or whatnot. And uh, so he, get, he, he had me go fill out an application online and, and said I could start this week. And I did that. And as soon as I hit submit, I got denied just like any time any ex-convict fills anything out online. They immediately deny it. And uh, so I went back in there. I was like, yeah, man, I filled it out. But they denied me. He's like, oh, it's all good, man. Here, fill out this paper one. We want to get you started. Can you, can you start tomorrow? I'm like, yep. And then, so my third day on, I got promoted because I sold 3000 the whole store did 9000 and one day was killing it. And I was like, man, this is my zone of genius working with people. And I've always been in sales. Like, I, I love it. Right. And, um, and then, so I put in my two weeks at the bar and grill where I had some stability in my life. And then, uh, two days after that, I get a phone call and they're like, uh, Mr. Babcock, you're a convicted felon, man. You got to kick rocks. And, uh, just like that, you know, it, it crushed me. I was like, you know, I'm finally putting behind, you know, my past and I'm moving forward and I'm in a job that I, that I like. And then boom, they, now I don't have anything. I don't have any job. And, and it's like my past keeps, keeps coming back to haunt me. And so in this moment, instead of asking myself that empowering question of what can I do right now to make my life better, like I did when I was in that prison. So my, when my sister passed, I didn't ask that question. And I started feeling sorry for myself and throwing a pity party. And I became a raging alcoholic. I mean, like hardcore, like I would wake up at like 10 in the morning because I was so obliterated the night before and start hammering beers right away at 10 in the morning, all into the night at 12 and 3 a.m. and repeat over and over. And uh, during that time, um, I found out that, uh, uh, that uh, what do you call it? my wife or my girlfriend was pregnant. And uh, I was like, oh shit, you know, like that's all I ever wanted was to be the father I never had. But not at this time when I feel like I'm never going to be able to even provide for myself, let alone a family. And then a few weeks after that, we found out that we were having twins. So it was like, <laughs> you talk about pressure sect on, on top of pressure. And I was like, man, and, and I, I was just a complete mess at the time. I was being a, even a scumbag. Like I was, I was cheating on my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I just, I didn't have any hope. And, um, and then I caught a DWI and, uh, and then one night when I was completely hammered and I woke up, uh, in, in Ferguson jail with the lights bright, blaring headache, back hurting because I was sleeping on a metal bunk that, that didn't have any mattress and realized I was in Ferguson jail. I was like, oh shit, man, last night couldn't have went well. And, um, and then I, I found out that I was heading back to prison and that was uh, 20 days before my twin sons were born. And uh, that, that moment right there, that was the most painful experience that I've ever had in my life. Like, all I ever wanted was to be the father that I didn't have growing up. And because of my poor decisions and selfish decisions of going out and partying and not trying to uh, search for other opportunity, now I'm missing out on one of the most important moments uh, in my life and their life. And, 
you know, it was, it was so painful. I felt big enough to sit on a penny and swing my feet from it. But at the same time, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And, and I mean that because in that same exact moment in that jail cell, knowing that I'm getting ready to go back to prison, I made a, a decision, a resolve. I said, I don't care what it takes, what I got to do. I'm going to do whatever time I got to do and I'm going to get back home and I'm become a responsible father, happy and successful. I didn't know what happy and successful looked like at that time. I didn't uh, know how I was going to provide for him when I came home because I knew that it was going to be so tough getting a job. Uh, and I didn't even know when I was coming home, like they could have held me for six months to a year and a half. I had a year and a half left on my parole. And so, you know, there was all these uncertain factors in there, but and I didn't know how I was going to be able to do all these different things, but it didn't matter because I had my strong reasons why I was going to do it in the first place. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, but, um, you know, and, and then <laughs> some more crazy shit happened. Uh, so I ended up having to do eight months. Uh, but during this time, about, about four months into it, um, my me and stephanie my my wife now but girlfriend at the time uh, we broke up and she had every you know i don't blame her for for all that i put her through and then leaving like that and uh she ended up hooking up with the guy the baby dad that um that the baby dad of the girl that i was cheating on her with and i guess that was like both of their ways to, to get back or whatnot and whatever it is what it is and i guess it wasn't enough for for this guy and uh he ended up hitting my son um my four month old son and fracturing his brain and causing brain hemorrhaging. And Kelsey, I swear to God, like I was literally lucky that I was locked up because I was, I had wanted to kill him. I legitly wanted to kill him, wanted to not just kill him, but to violently kill him, like and torture him. And, you know, I mean, who wouldn't, what kind of father wouldn't want to avenge their son hitting a four month old, uh, innocent defenseless kid. And, uh, but, I was locked up and thank God. And I still had those thoughts of that, but I know I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm going to be in my kid's life and nothing's going to take me from that. Um, so that was tough. And that eight months, I mean, I was locked up four years flat the first time, but that eight months felt like 10 years. Uh, it was, it felt so much longer, but you know, I got out and, and thank God. And then I got into entrepreneurship and all that, and all this crazy shit now. <laughs> or do you, were you able to see your son's? when you were in for those eight months? Yeah, so I, I got to see him twice. I, I remember when I first got locked up, it was 20 days before they were, they were born. And then when they were born, it took, I, I, had to, I waited a month and a half after they were born, just imagining what they looked like and if they looked like me or not. And that was driving me crazy because it took a while for, for us to get pictures sent in. And then uh, I got to see him one time while still in the diagnostic center. It's the prison that you go to, that everybody goes to, and then they figure out what main camp they're going to send you to. And uh, I got to see him one time when, behind the glass. It was like through the glass phone visit, and I got to see him, you know, in person one time. And then uh, right before uh, my son Landon got hit by that guy, I got to see him in person and hold him when they're uh, four months old. And then after that happened, though, uh, then they got took into state custody uh, for a few months, uh, for, for actually like a month and a half. And I wasn't, they didn't allow me to see him anymore, uh, because I was in prison, uh, even though I wasn't the guy that hit him, but yeah, it is what it is. And, and there, and we were still like, when I came home, we were still like through supervision just to make sure that we were a good fit for the kids or whatnot. But yeah, it was crazy. Wow. What was it like coming home? Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was completely different from the first time. It's crazy, but uh, I came home with complete certainty, like of like I didn't have any worry. Like I was like, I'm going to dominate this, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Didn't know how. I formed a, I, I formed up this plan. This is a hell of a business model. But uh, my uh, my thoughts were in prison. Uh, I came home in October second, two thousand fourteen. Well, in August of 2014, the Michael Brown situation happened in Ferguson, and that's where I grew up and was raised. And it was a very unfortunate situation, but at the same time, I knew the media was hyping this shit up to make it like Ferguson was some war zone and horrible place to be, and it's nothing like how the media hyped it up to be. And I was like, man, I, and I, was, I, was, I was sad by what happened, and I was angry how they are putting out Ferguson being, I was thinking like, you know, how can I do something to turn this into a positive? And so my, 
plan was, I also knew that it was going to be tough for me to get a job. So I knew I was going to have to go into entrepreneurship and I always been drawn to that my whole life anyways, but I had an extensive background in going door to door sales. I always crushed it in those types of jobs and any type of sales job. I was always good. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to make up some t-shirts that say I heart Ferguson on them and I'm going to go door to door selling them. And, and that was my business model. Did it work? <laughs> but, uh, no, but, uh, but it was a start though. I was, I was, I was turning the wheel. So that, that was like the game plan. And then when I got home, yeah, you know, I didn't have the, the startup capital to make that happen. Um, but I was searching for a job. I was looking for any under the table paying construction job or bar and grill gig. And, um, and I was searching five to 20 applications, seven days a week. Like that was my job was to get a job and I wasn't getting any results, nothing. Um, but I, I, and this went on for about a month and a half and it didn't matter. I wasn't even discouraged. I was like, something's going to give because I'm not going to quit. And, uh, and I was at the time I was working out, uh, and posting the, the, the gym selfies. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in that stage of my life. And, uh, because of that though, because of doing that, some guy reached out to me and he actually lived close to me, uh, 15 minutes away. And he's like, Hey man, I got this, this energy drink, this all natural energy drink. Uh, you want to try it or whatever? And I was like, who the hell is this dude? And what the hell is this drink he's talking about? And, uh, and I asked, I was like, man, is there a business opportunity? He's like, yeah, man. And so I went and met up with him cause he ended up, he was lived close by and, uh, it, I ended up getting in, it was a network marketing opportunity. And at the time you couldn't even scare me off with the word pyramid scheme. Cause I didn't even know what the hell it was, <laughs> but, uh, I got into it. And because I was so hungry, I was able to build almost a $2,000 a month uh, residual income six months into the in, into joining. And I know that's not like, oh my God, you're rich, you're crushing it or whatever. But uh, for me, for a guy coming out of prison, it was a complete game changer. I'm making more than minimum wage. I'm able to take care of my family. It was, it was awesome. Well, what was even more awesome though, it, it was like, it was like, uh, uh, college for entrepreneurship. It taught me, you know, the basics about building a business and it introduced me to personal development. I started reading books after that. And, um, it was just really incredible the experiences that I gained from it. But as we mentioned, it just wasn't my thing. I, I, I completely lost my passion for it towards the end. I can't believe I stuck around for two years cause I started losing my passion for it like nine months in. Um, and then I finally pulled the trigger in the very beginning of 2017. Like that was my, I hate New Year's resolutions, but I was like, New Year, I'm, I'm cutting the cords. I'm leaving the safety net and I'm going out to do what I want to do. And, and uh, yeah, that's how that happened. And what do you feel like your mission is right now? Oh, I love that question because like it's crazy. It started out, my mission was to be a responsible father and be in my kid's life. That was my why. And that was the, the driver and it still is, but it's evolved so much and it continues to evolve. Like if you ask me this question next month, it'll probably be different. Um, and I feel like it is with everybody, mm -hmm. but I, I have some set stones, like, like my overall contribution goal. I have this really kick-ass program that I'm developing, um, where I'm going to pay it's, it's called conscious freedom initiative. I already got the domain. Um, but I haven't s actually started building this, but it, it, I'm going to, it's starting this fucking year. I swear to God. Uh, and I hate talking about stuff that I haven't done yet. I just like to show rather than tell. That's why they call it show and tell. You show first, then you tell. But uh, this is something that really drives me. And it's a, it's a huge, it, it like gets me jumping out of bed every day. I'm going to pay ex-convicts, not just any of them. Like I'm going to provide resources that aren't currently offered by the judicial system. Uh, and, and resources, I mean, not the bullshit like food stamps and welfare and assisted living stuff that's designed to keep you dependent on the system and in the system. But I'm talking about resources like hard life skills, how to communicate in sales, entrepreneurship skills, getting them in, into certain programs and just overall programs that, that I've went through myself that have gotten me to the level where I'm at. But I'm going to hire these guys and it's not going to be just anybody because there's a lot of people that aren't ready to change their life coming out. But I, I know who is, you know, just by talking to them and people that are just like me that are that are ready to change their life. I'm going to hire them in the beginning and not pay them a lot of money, but pay them money where it's going to be able to take care of their family. And they're going to do things for me and my business. Like as far as like video editing, podcast production, all this stuff, you know, cause I already have people that do that, but I'm going to, they're going to learn these basic skills and stuff and they're going to have an income, but then they're also going to be required to read 
certain books that I have laid out that, that were so impactful for myself and are going to go through the same programs that I went through that are going to teach them about marketing and all, all this different entrepreneurial set skills. And for the guys that don't, aren't really entrepreneurs and aren't really meant for that, you know, cause not everybody's an entrepreneur, uh, then they can continue working for me and they'll get pay raises and stuff like that. But I, that's like, that drives me more than anything right there. That is a fucking brilliant idea. I love it. Thank you so much. I, oh. I'm fired up about it. It gets me fired up just thinking about it. Yeah. That, I feel like that's, it's going to change the world. Yeah. That my, my goal, it's a crazy, but the recidivism rate back in 26, 2014 um, in Missouri was at 49%. Don't quote me. It might be like 47, whatever. But yeah. it was but up that's there. a lot. Right, right. You know, and so my goal it, with Conscious Freedom Initiative is going to start off small here in Missouri and, and working with people I know, but I'm going to build it into something crazy. But the goal nationwide in the U.S. is to get the recidivism rate to 9% or lower. Oh, my God. I'm going to make yes. it happen. We're going to make yeah. it happen. Yeah. When we're done recording, I want to know how I can help you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you tried the network marketing thing, then that just didn't, it ended up not being in alignment with you. And what'd you do once you realized that? I mean, you decided on new year's, but then what was next? So <laughs> this is funny. Um, I, I was asking myself this question, like, what can I do? What do I want to do? What would make me happy? And what could I be good at? And I landed on life coaching that was initially it and uh i'll tell you what kelsey i did that for a year and a half uh no almost a year and a half before launching the podcast and i didn't help a single person or make a single dime through life coaching <laughs> and the reason why is because i my messaging was all over the place i was like i help you live a better life i help you achieve your goals like who's going to pull out their credit card and pay for that bullshit? Like it was, it wasn't, I wasn't solving a specific problem for a specific person. And that was really the key, that piece that I was missing. And so I struggled and I, I didn't give up, but I was literally wanting to bang my head into brick walls because I was trying to figure this out and nothing I was putting out. And like I was building an, an audience on YouTube and my social media and stuff, but like it just, I wasn't making any money and you need money to survive take care of your family and to actually go out and make the contributions that you want to make. Cause without it, you aren't going to make it. And, um, it was so frustrating. Uh, but I didn't give up. And then I moved into uh, business coaching because, uh, I, I heard like, Oh, nobody really pays for life coaching. They want to know, you know, people, most entrepreneurs want to know how they can make more money. And so like, okay, cool. That's what I'll do. And, um, right after I moved into that, um, I launched the podcast. It became a top 200 rated podcast on iTunes in the first week. I'm like, yes. And instantly, instantly I'm interviewing like, dude, I, I, I funny story. I tried to team up with Billy Jean marketing. He's uh he's crushing a game with, with advertising stuff, but the dude's a genius. But, uh, I met him at an event and then I reached out to him after the event and tried to invite him on to my online summit that I was trying to put together. And he opened up the message on Facebook, like right after I sent it to him and didn't reply. And then I ran, yeah. And then I ranked the podcast uh, on iTunes. I sent him a message right away. I'm like, Billy, I just ranked my podcast top 200 on iTunes. Love to interview you, man. Can we make that happen? He opened it up right away and replied instantly with uh, his uh, assistant's email. Said she got my schedule. I was like, yes. And we got him on the show. And it was crazy. I was like, man, before this podcast, I couldn't. Nobody wanted to collaborate with me. Couldn't team up with anybody. And now I'm getting in there with people that are like high status, high level people that are hard to get a hold of, you know? And it's like, man, this is, I'm onto something here. And I started interviewing all these big names, celebrities stuff, but not just them. I was also inter interviewing people in the trenches like myself and stuff. And, uh, and it was a complete game changer. So what we did, what I did is I teamed up with two guys, uh, one that helped his students generate over 300 million in revenue since 1999. Other guy had helped, uh, he had this program that had over a thousand graduates and 20 million in revenues. And the program was all about lead generation, customer acquisition, and scaling a business. We launched a program. We're getting people coming in. I'm like the face of it. We're launching it, you know, through the brand I built with my podcast. And we got students enrolling in it. However, 
I felt like a maggot. I felt like an imposter. I felt like a fake, a scumbag, like all that. Even though I teamed up with these guys that had these proven results with this program and whatnot, I'm sitting here trying to achieve what I'm teaching our students coming through this program by teaching it. And it was ass backwards. And I was like, no, I can't do this. And, and, and so I pulled the plug on it and I made a post on Christmas day in 2018. This is past Christmas and called myself out on it. And it was tough being vulnerable and, and calling myself. And I was like, guys, I can't do this. I feel like one of these fake gurus that are taking pictures in front of rented Lamborghinis, promising you to be a millionaire overnight and then not being able to deliver on the results. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go back to continuing to build my affiliate income through these affiliate products that I promote currently and, uh, and, and build in the podcast. I'm gonna go back to the drawing board and figure it out. And that was so tough to do at the time, but Kelsey was one of the best decisions I made because, uh, afterwards I had so many people reach out to me and they're like, dude, that was so fucking awesome that you did that, man. Like I respect you for, for owning up to that and putting yourself out there. Cause there's so many fake people out there and people scamming. And I get it, man. Like you, you so many people like you'll see on Facebook, like, I help you build a personal brand or whatever. And then they have like 23 followers and zero income and they're struggling in their business. Like what the fuck that's, you know, you're incongruent. It doesn't make sense to do that. And I get why people do it. Cause I've been there myself and you want to be successful so bad and you believe in yourself. And, but there comes a point where the term fake it till you make it. I hate that word because there's a difference between acting as if, you know, and, and stepping into it versus scamming people and promising something that you can't deliver on. And that just didn't meet up with my integrity and my, with the values that I have in my life. And I did that and I struggled for the next few months. And uh, a lot of people listening, you guys probably aren't as slow as I am. They probably would have figured this out a lot faster, but I finally landed on like, how can I help people get a specific result? And I was like, dude, you're such a fucking idiot podcasting. You know how to hit the top 200 in podcasting. You know how to interview celebrities, professional athletes, and industry leaders. And you know how to get thousands of downloads per month and build a brand that way. That's a really valuable commodity. And podcasting is, is fucking hot. And people love listening to podcasts. The people that do listen to podcasts love it. I was like, but it, it took me so long to finally land on that. But when I did, I ran my offer for the first time, made 11K in the first month. That's more than I've ever made in a single month with four months combined in any point in my life. And more importantly, everybody that came through my program, I was able to deliver on every single specific result that I promised in that offer. And that was incredible. And that was like a complete game changer. It was a complete major shift uh, in my part moving forward. So I guess the takeaway is to really find your awesome, find your zone of genius, find that what, because you, everybody has it. Everybody has it. You just got to really pinpoint what it is. And then step into it fully and, and, and to be vulnerable, share like if you don't have those results, your clients have like, hey, look, I don't have these specific results, but like I do on my podcast, you know, the, my podcast is all for underdog entrepreneurs. I help them get to the next level in their business and life. Um, and, and I'm a student of psychology, business marketing with a unique perspective from both extremes of life. However, I also share that guys, I don't have all the answers but I'm willing to stick my neck on the line to go out and test what does and doesn't work and share and document every part of the process in my journey. And if you could do that, if you could be vulnerable enough to share like, Hey, I, I don't have all the answers. I'm, this is where I'm at and I'm not trying to act further along, but this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I'm setting out to do and come along, follow me through the journey. Like if you could do that, man, you could really do some incredible things and people will appreciate that more. Like you don't understand how much people appreciate that versus some fake guru promising you some bullshit that they can't deliver on. I personally trust somebody who says, I don't know so much more than somebody who's going to give me all the answers. Exactly. 100%. Like, I don't know, but let's figure it out. <laughs> exactly. That's I mean, exciting. It, people can relate to that because none of, nobody has all the answers. Nobody exactly. does. And no one has all the answers. They may have figured out a lot of the stuff for themselves, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for somebody else. Right. Or they might have really specialized knowledge in something that can help people, but they still don't have all the answers to everything. You know what I'm saying? So the people that can share that about themselves stuff, you're really going to connect with the, with the audience. Yeah. I love that your story takes you from prison, which is not living in integrity to, it sounds like integrity being one of your top values so much so that 
stepping into your integrity fully allowed you to step into, it sounds like at least right now, what you're supposed to be doing, the way you're supposed to be serving the world. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's, see, like I mentioned, man, my mom, she was a strong, fierce, single mother. She never got remarried afterwards, but she really installed some amazing values in myself. And she always, like, when I say I've never met somebody that loved as much as this woman. I really mean that. And I'm not just saying that because she's my mom. Like when my sister passed away, um, my mom immediately started. It started off, she called it Megan's Hope, but now it's called Ferguson Youth Initiative. And it's a program that empowers young adults in their teens uh, to be leaders in the community. And they do a bunch of incredible things, like especially like the teenagers that get speeding tickets and can't afford to pay their ticket. They let them do community service work in the community that, that helps the community look beautiful and better place to live. Uh, and, and it's just such an incredible program. She literally devoted the last five years of her life, this was in 2010, to building that uh, organization. She passed away right after I got out of prison from stage four lung cancer. And that was back in 2015. Yet this program still exists and still is doing amazing things. They had a kid that got on the Steve Harvey show um, that went through this program that has this, uh, I can't remember the name of it, uh, books for kids or some, some little thing that he created that was so awesome. He got interviewed on Steve Harvey show. Cause that like, that's incredible. And you guys you can probably YouTube it and find, find that, um, find that interview or whatnot. But, um, you know, I have her plaque because she was uh, she was named uh, Ferguson, Missouri Citizen of the Year the year she died, and she received this award on Fourth of July, 2015, just a few months before she died. And um, wow, I'm getting a little. Uh, I usually don't tear up or whatnot, but uh, she has a. We I have that plaque hanging on my office that I could see. You know, it's right behind my computer screen, and it gives me an example of how I want to model and live my life. Yeah, what values did she give you? integrity was one of them you know yeah. but but really and she and she said she, i got a, i got the video of her speech and she literally says at the end of uh at the end of her speech um when she was accepting the award she said uh and because she knew she was getting ready to die she's like at the end of your days what nothing matters but who you've been able to love and who's been able to love you back and so like ah uh, that really stuck with me and and it's true like and and i'm not one of those guys um that uh, I'm definitely not one of those guys that says money doesn't matter because I will tell you money does fucking matter and it's a very big priority of mine, but there's other things like love and stuff that come higher than that, but you do need money to survive and to, to make that impact that you want to make in the world, you know? So I'm not one, don't think, don't get it twisted. I definitely place a high value on money, but there's more things in life that are also more important. Yeah. And liking money and appreciating money and, having a relationship with money doesn't mean you can't lead with love, which is what it sounds like you do very powerfully. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just like you mentioned, like I literally love money. I have a, a loving relationship with money and I accept it fully. And I really, I just don't vibe with the people that say that's evil or not, it's not evil. I, you can do good with money. You can't do good without it. You can do, you can, but you can do way less. You can do so much more with money and, the, and we all need money to survive. And the more money you have, the more good you can do. So I'm not one of those like greedy money hungry guys, but I do have a loving relationship with money and I'm able to, to, to spread more love with the money. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a super powerful, like superhero of a mom to demonstrate that for you. Yeah, she was, she was a rock star. Yeah. You know, it's, I feel like the universe, you know, sometimes it taps us on a, sh a shoulder to teach us something. Sometimes it just hits us, like slaps us across the face. Sometimes it hits us with a truck. It sounds <laughs> like you've been hit with a truck a few times. Yeah, <laughs> quite a couple times. <laughs> yeah, and yet, and yet you've you've found your way. Like you say, it took you a long time to figure out that teaching people about podcasting was your zone of genius. And yet, what it took you like two months, three months. Yeah, it, it took. It, I mean, it really took me years to find that because I was trying to do all these other things. But when I made that post and stepped away. It took it took a few months to land on that. Some some might have realized that right out the gate because I'm mean, here. I am 
nine to 10 months after I launched my podcast and a podcast has been a continuous success, but I never did realize like that was the zone of genius and that's where I could help people. And it's, I think it's silly that it took me that long to find that, but that's why I always joke. Like some of you probably aren't as slow as I am, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. some might be slower. Yeah. could be true. Sometimes true. it can take years. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the closer something is to your face, like the more obvious it is, the harder it is to see it. Yeah, it's like being trapped inside of a bottle. You can't read the label on the outside. <laughs> exactly. That's one of my favorite expressions, that you can't read the, read the label from inside the jar. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and I had a whole conversation with someone, Rachel Wright, on an earlier episode about whether it's a jar or, or a bottle. Because I've always thought it, heard it is. You can't read the label from inside the jar, but she'd always heard it. She pictured a salad dressing bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fine funny <laughs> so when you say it what what do you envision a uh, bottle or a jar a bottle of whiskey no i'm just playing <laughs> it's i i think it's i always thought of it like a bottle that's like you know in the ocean with a little note in it or whatever oh, yeah or something but it could be a bottle or a jar it's uh you know it's still a glass container that you can't read the label from the outside yeah <laughs> it's powerful stuff Zach, what have we not talked about that we need to talk about? You know, honestly, uh, I mean, if, if you say that, then this conversation probably would never end. But I really do think you're a kick-ass host because you really pulled out all the major pieces, some of the really most transformational pieces of my life that I feel like can help your audience. Obviously, everybody has so much to share and there's so much more, but I really, you're a kick-ass host. Thank you. You're a kick-ass guest. I'm loving everything. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so we will wrap this up. I feel like it's kind of under duress because we could keep going for a really long time. How can people track you down, listen to your podcast? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it right there. If, if you guys are listening in and really enjoyed this interview right here, um, I'm super passionate about my podcast as well, just like Kelsey is. Uh, it's literally like what I live and breathe. I love podcasting. So check me out on pod, on my podcast if you like. Um, you can find it on any platform that you listen to podcasts too. But to make it easy for you, you can go to underdogempowerment.com and right when you land on there, there's spots where you could subscribe to uh, whatever platform you listen on. Awesome. And you guys, seriously, check out the podcast. Subscribe. Five-star review. Oh, Do all the things. Yeah. Yes. Send Send the love, ripples of love everywhere throughout the podcast universe. Yes. You're right. And on social media, shout, <laughs> shout out this episode and every episode that you love of both of our podcasts, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're, uh, I can't wait to have you on the show too. We're actually going to do the interview. I think it's like in a week or so. So yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be awesome. It's coming up. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zach. This episode has been epic and I can't wait to share it. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. <laughs>